You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Hi guys, this is Jesse with the Voluntary Vixens, and I have my friend Kristen here with me again. And I asked her to come on the show because she was recently um, in New York City during the pandemic working in the ICU at, do you want to say what hospital? Yeah, I was with uh, New York Presbyterian in Queens, which is in Flushing, that area of Queens. So one of the hardest hit boroughs. Okay. So um, I just kind of wanted to get an idea of the things that she saw. And um, you guys know, if you've listened to our show, that I've been very skeptical of the panic surrounded by COVID-19. So I just wanted to see... um, what Kristen had seen while she was there, especially since New York seemed to be the most hit city in the world, really. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll just let you go. Well, there's so much to start off with. Give me, give me a direction of what, uh, with a question <laughs> of what you want to really well, know. Um, I know while you were over there, there was a lot of videos of nurses talking about like people being, um, I guess, they were already really sick and then the doctors and the staff weren't really doing enough, I guess, to save their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you kind of, there was one nurse in particular that really had a pretty heartfelt or it, she seemed to be heartfelt and crying a lot in the video about um, the doctors not doing enough to save their lives. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to kind of get your idea. Like, do you feel like while you were there, there was any shady business with that? Well, First off, let me put it this way. When I get there, this is um, in April. I was there for two months. It was mass casualty triage at at its best. We get trained in the ER, especially for mass casualty triage. We get trained in like decontamination every year. So you're prepared for what you're supposed to do, but to see it in action is different. Mm-hmm. So when I got there, um, their biggest need were ICU nurses that could handle CRRT machines, which is continuous renal replacement therapy, because this does affect the renal system for the people who get really sick. Um, so some ICU nurses didn't know how to run their machines. I said, it's not the same machine, but I can do a crash course because that's what was really needed. Those, are, those patients are typically one-on-one patients. We had like four of those. And I'm getting there as things are calming down. They had said the worst... The peak of the worst was probably Easter, where they would be running a code, um, and then another code would happen right next door, and then another code would happen down the hall. You just didn't have enough hands to do what you would want to do for a patient. So if that nurse was saying, oh, the doctors just weren't doing it, it wasn't out of a lack of them wanting to do it. It was a lack of not having enough hands. You have to remember these are a whole bunch of residents that typically have the safety net of their attending that are having to make decisions on the fly because it's just not possible to go find the attending for every decision that was critical that was being made. So some of them were doing the best they could. And we've got some young PAs. Uh, there weren't a lot of nurse practitioners there. Um, even some of the PAs were traveling PAs. I mean, so I wonder typ- why that is. Yeah, typically for, for this hospital, they just don't u- utilize masks. And, and one of the PAs was not sure. Um, okay. There were a few in the hospital. 
Um, but there were, I mean, there were definitely times where I, as a nurse said, are you sure you want to do that medication at that dose? Do you want to try this? Dose? And it's not because, you know, I, you know, they were, they were doing the wrong things. It's because they're just not as well versed. Um, they love their LASIKs up there for some reason. And there were a lot of situations where I had to say, you know, let's think this through LASIKs. It's just not the right medication. Um, that's a diuretic, and it can cause a lot of electrolyte imbalances um, when you're fighting something. Um, and they, they looked at their chest x-rays, and they're full, it's full of white gunk, and they're thinking get fluid out of there. But it's not fluid. It's pus and things like that. So it's like that's not going to clear the lungs. Let's think this through. Mm-hmm. Um, one that went ahead and went through with it, um, later that same patient ended up getting bronchiospasms because when you do flush out the body with the Lasix, you're going to take the electrolyte balance like the magnesium, potassium off. Magnesium is a smooth muscle relaxer. So then, it, you know, he was doing fine on his vent. Um, we did have a doctor that, because they were at a loss of what to do, um, a patient that had been there for months, um, wide out on his lungs. Actually, he was one of the ones that supposedly had no underlying medical conditions. He was 50. He was seemed like he was a good health. He wasn't really overweight. But you have to understand that some of these people probably didn't have great access to healthcare at some point or probably didn't go to the doctor very often. So it's very easy that this patient could have had hypertension that was never diagnosed. Yeah. I didn't have any patients other than that one that didn't have something underlying. That's always my biggest yeah. like skepticism is when they when people who are trying to tell me that I need to wear a mask, I need to be really panicked about this, mm-hmm. I need to be worried about it because... Some twenty-four-year-old in some city died of COVID, and I'm and they didn't have any comorbidities, and I'm like, I just don't believe that. So first, I'm just going to close out our first question, which was, you know, basically, did I see anything that was um, amiss? What I saw were a lot of people still learning medicine that probably didn't always make the best choices, but they were doing the best they could. Was there mm-hmm. any desire for them? To kill anybody. Absolutely not. And some of those nurses who came out and said that, shame on them because they were working closely with those doctors doing the best they could. Um, and then also, did I did I feel like they, they were doing medical malpractice? Sometimes there were some decisions made that I did question, but that's medicine in general. But at, at the mass casualty triage environment, and then you got a lot of visitors and you don't know who you can trust. And who, you start feeling, as I'm sure from that doctor viewpoint, that everything relies on you and you don't know who to trust when they start coming at you with suggestions and you're young and you're wet beneath the ears. Yeah. And I, you know, I think maybe this, some of the nurses alluded to ca- compassion fatigue. Some of these nurses were really tired. The doctors, you know, get to go back to their, they were still tired, but you know, they still got to go to the room and sleep a little bit if they needed to, you know, we don't get, get we didn't get that luxury. Um, so when I first got there, all I saw was all of us, even though we came from different backgrounds, had different, accents, you know, came from different practicing styles. We all pulled together and we were really trying hard to do the best we could. Um, And you feel like it's fruitless effort because some of the ones I thought would make it ended up getting blood clots and dying from strokes or from Mm -hmm. heart attacks. So you do get a little disheartened. That doesn't mean you don't stop trying. I never saw anybody stop trying because they lost somebody they expected to not lose by interfering. Now, when it comes to the healthy people, like I said, I had... um, a 34-year-old pass that was on CRT that I thought was going to make it, but she had an underlying condition, of a very painful form of vasculitis, which is an already inflammatory autoimmune state in your body. Yeah. And then on top of that, there was, uh, I believe, some diabetic issues. Uh, so she passed because she kept throwing clots. So she, 
my thing is there were a couple of healthy people that I heard of, like there was a doctor that was in the New York Presbyterian hospital system that she was not at our actual uh, hospital. And he was a transplant surgeon. Um, and he seemingly was very healthy. But we don't know yet because we know that this attacks the ACE2 protein receptor, which is everywhere in the body. We also know that it could cause cytokine storms where it's instead of it being a sniper that takes out the enemy in your body, it's like setting off a bomb. It doesn't matter what it destroys as long as it just destroys the enemy, but it destroys your body in the process. Mm -hmm. So if you already have an inflammatory process going on in your body, that could mean like you have a genetic autoimmune disorder that was never diagnosed that you never knew about. Or say you had some stress in your life, you weren't getting good sleep, you weren't getting good exercise, but for overall you might be healthy, you might just, that could have pushed you over the top and gotten a cytokine storm, um, whereas normally when you're in your healthy state, you wouldn't have gotten it. There's so much that goes on with the blood clotting with this that there are people who, we have, listen, we have over 500 clotting factors in our body that we know of, that we know of. There's still things undiscovered in the body. So, and there's a lot of these uh, clotting factor disorders. People don't even realize they have it till it's till they get in an accident or they're in surgery or something like that happens that's tragic and they find out then. So it very well could be these seemingly healthy people could have an undiagnosed underlying, that's my theory, and this is just all, you know, anecdotal and kind of my theory from what I've observed. Um, so no real science behind it, but there's, we're going to find out more and we're going to find out that maybe there might be some underlying things that cause these seemingly healthy people to be at risk that they normally, so you and I could have something like that because I'm, I'm a very healthy person, but I could have something like that creeping in my GNA disposition that I don't know of. Mm -hmm. So I do take precautions while I was there. I did take precautions, but, um, I will say this in my humble opinion, even if we didn't do social distancing, we didn't do the lockdown in Tennessee, would it have gone up? Absolutely. Would it have ever gotten to the state that it did with New York? Absolutely not. We have more access to healthcare. They don't have enough hospitals to even fit the population before a pandemic, let alone after. Then you've got a lot of these hospitals are teaching hospitals. So who they staff it with, the nurses, because it's a, a residential um, teaching hospital, um, they didn't have as much autonomy because they want the residents to think through the electronic electrolyte, sorry, not electronic, but the electrolyte replacement. So we here as ICU nurses have a protocol that the doctor sets in place and we line the numbers up and give medications according to that. And, but it's driven by a nurse. Um, whereas there, even if we knew what the right thing to do, we had to wait for a doctor to order it. They had to think it through. So you don't have as much autonomy there either. So the healthcare may not reaction may not be as quick as say somewhere down here mm -hmm. if it's not a teaching hospital. Um, so so I did notice that, and even some of the PAs did admit that some of the nurses, you know, not just don't seem to have as much knowledge as some of the travelers, and they got to where they really trusted us a lot. Um, so I think also because they live on top of each other, I know they say climate is not an issue, but that's not true because when we're out and about. Um, you know, I look, we'll just look at where it got the worst. It got the worst in cold climate areas where there's a lot of population. Mm -hmm. Look at India. This is also part of a theory. This is just an observation. Uh, so it's not anything solid yet, but India should have been decimated. They live on top of each other. They live in deplorable conditions. A lot of yep. the times they don't have good access to even perform good hygiene. Their access to healthcare is even less um, ideal. Mm -hmm. than um, some third world countries, depending on where you are in India. And it didn't get decimated. It still got some numbers, but it didn't get decimated. New Orleans was supposed to be 10 times worse than it was. In fact, 
they were canceling some contracts when I was going up to New York. And I said, okay, well, where's the next biggest hotspot? She said, well, it was New Orleans yesterday, but today they're really canceling a lot of these and it's slowly, you know, becoming the case where it's, I don't think that they're going to need people in New Orleans. And case in point, um, New Orleans did not end up getting hit as bad as we thought. It plateaued off. What is the common denominator? And it's the warm climate. You're just not seeing it. And people are getting out. They're being healthy. Um, getting your vitamin D. Right. Getting your vitamin C. Right. And, I, you know, I, I prepared myself before I went up, though. I mean, I did high dose of vitamin C infusions. I believe there's room for all of that. I'm, I believe there's room for, for preventative. I believe that there you can do homeopathic. And if that stops working... There's also medications that can be a little harsh on your body, but they'll work. And then they're, they're in their hospital. So it's like it can all work together. But I did high-dose vitamin C. I took uh, vitamin D IM shots every other week. I took them up there with me. I took some peptides that help with immune and gut health. Um, and, you know, I just I, I kept drinking vitamin C water the whole time I was there. So I stayed pretty hydrated. So, I mean, I took precautions. And, and I'll say this. Um, people want to compare it to the flu. Um, the numbers aren't up there for, for how much it, it, it affects the flu, but I will say it is worse than the flu if you do get hit hard with it because the flu is pretty predictable in how it takes people, right? Yeah. It usually will hit you and you'll have some coughing. You'll develop some bacterial pneumonia from that. Then the pneumonia can cause sepsis or the pneumonia itself, if you have some underlying heart or lung conditions, is what ends up taking you. This, it can attack, you can get a stroke, a heart attack. There were some people who lost limbs because they got DVTs from the blood clotting. Um, you could have uh, kidney failure from that. You could have, you know, your lung, the lung, the whiteout. I mean, the same people that were there when I first got there were still there lingering in the ICU when I left. Um, if they had survived, their lungs were never going to be the same. Their quality of life would have been that they would have been on a... Um, source of oxygen at some point for the rest of their life. They wouldn't be able to move very far. Uh, some of them might question whether or not they'd be brain dead because they're on a vent and they're, you know, kept sedated. Um, sometimes, you know, you had a paralytic to go along with it. The body just can't endure that for very long. Yeah. Um, but you want that, you know, the family wants to hold out hope and wants to keep them alive. So at the end, they really, honestly, it went from me taking care of four patients all at once that should have been one-on-one -on -one, to me taking care of a patient that, you know, basically a med search. If I just taught them how to titrate drips, med surge nurse could have taken care of because your babysit. You're just adjusting drips to keep them alive, basically. Yeah, I've had to do that before. Yeah, I was wondering too because um, another thing I had a question about was the ventilators. Mm -hmm. um, I know the reasoning why they put people on ventilators is because they didn't want to aerosolize the virus. Right. You know, when you're putting on like a, a CPAP or a BiPAP. There's, you know, you're forcing air in and out, but they, it's not a closed system. And mm -hmm. so it can easily just get out into the right. environment. So you'd have to put them in like a positive pressure in like room or something like that. Yeah, and of course you'd have those. to gown up like crazy. And, um, it kind of reminds me of like, when I was thinking, I was like, if you're going to put them in a positive pressure room, I'm thinking like they, either you're going to be dealing with like a similar to like a TV patient or, mm -hmm. um, a neutropenic patient. And um, I was thinking, like, but I was like, the thing about the ventilators, the issue I have with the ventilators is I was wondering, like, where some of these people would, if, if it weren't the fact that we were so worried about aerosolizing the virus, 
would, I mean, the reason why we're not aerosolizing the virus, let's just be real, is to save healthcare workers, healthcare workers right. from being infected, right? Right. But what if we could save that patient's life by putting them on a BiPAP instead? Where I stood personally, now when we first got there, they did show us a memorial of the people who had worked there who had passed away. Most of them were custodial people. Mm-hmm. unfortunately, because I think that they just weren't well-versed in, you know, the exposure at the beginning. Um, some of them were doctors, and some of the doctors knew. One of them, in particular, I heard a story told by one of the um, first residents there that the doctor was like, just do whatever you have to do, just don't tube me, you know, because he knew once you get tubed, um, it's too much. Um, I personally would have been a like, give me whatever you want me to wear. I'll work in the room where there's BiPAPs or CPAPs mm-hmm. because these people will die. It's a death sentence because there's so much junk in the lungs because of where it attacks the ACE2 and, uh, receptors that, I mean, there's a pretty good actual YouTube video that explains how it creates all this dead necrotic tissue mm-hmm. and it limits the gas exchange, but it also limits the ability for it to expand and contract and mm-hmm. so you basically got like hard stenosed lung. It's just not. So when you blow a bunch of air into like, say, right. like, a, like a balloon, it can take it. But when it's not stretchy and you blow it into like a, a balloon know, that's like 75 like a, years old. Or that or like, a, pa- <laughs> like a paper bag and then you just put a little pressure in it, it'll pop. Right. Um, and so what was happening is I did see one and and. um I, he was supposed to be an intensivist and it was night shift. So he was doing all this proning and trying to save people at night. And it's like, sometimes you want those circadian rhythms to work for you and let them rest during that time. You do that during the day. It's honestly kind of why I picked night shift because at my hospital, I know, I know the standards and the policies for how we sedation vacation them, which means we take the sedation off so that they can be waking up and they'll be ready for when they extubate them and do a trial Mm-hmm. Um, first you put them on like a CPAP mode within the, with, with their vent and see how they do with that. And you kind of march them to their, if they do well with all these steps, they can get extubated. So there's so much policy and so much red tape with all that. I was like, I'm going to be in a new place. I don't want to do anything wrong or misstep. So I'm going to work night shift. But this one doctor wanted to come through and make all these changes. And one of the PAs I was working with, who was a female, um, she was great. She was from, um, Durham, North Carolina. And she uh, and I both were this one guy, like I said, the one that was healthy, his white out, his CO2 never would get below 90%. And so, um, you know, you hope that they'll blow that off, but mm-hmm. he, it just wasn't going to happen. But his oxygen was staying good. Um, so, you know, he comes in and wants to turn the tidal volume up. And usually our respiratory therapists handle that, or at least you would talk to the PA that's over that patient before you do anything. He just went in and turned it up and it didn't fit this guy's body and weight. There's a reason you have a body and weight diagram for tidal volume because that's what their lungs can take. In a healthy lung, you shouldn't do that. So there are some people who, but in his mind, he's thinking, if we don't do something, his, well, he's never going to recover. He's, he's going to die. So it just depends on your perspective on how you look at look at it. Yeah. I didn't agree with what he did, but I understood why where his thinking was. So the nurses that are like, they did this and they did that, but did you talk to them about, you know, how they've been staring at that same patient for one month and there not been any changes? Yeah. And we know it's either he's gonna die or we gotta do something. We gotta try something. Yeah. Um, 
So he did get a little bit of pneumothorax and that would happen a lot, um, which is air in the lungs. And a lot of times, you know, you're trying to do these on the fly. You've got PAs or doctors trying to put in central lines in the neck um, and pop in the top of the lung and they have to put chest tubes in. But they're thinking about, the sad thing is they're trying to do their best, they're, but they're thinking about the five next ones they've got to do. And so they're trying to hurry and get to these people to make sure they don't lose a life because of the time frame. Yeah. So that's where these nurses were a little bit betraying their own people and that they're highlighting the mistakes that are happening, but they're not, they're not, there's no way you're going to explain to the public who's never worked in the healthcare industry, how that can happen. And it's unfortunate if that's your family member. And yes, in an ideal world, you would have the ideal setting. That's just not what this was. There was no way, you know, you know, and there's people getting upset because, you know, I think they thought that was like racially motivated. Listen, I, the only white people I worked with there were either travelers or they were Russian or from some other European country and had come to America and became nurses. Yeah. Um, And, but the majority of them were either African American or where I was, it was high Asian population. And I had a lot of Hispanics. I had a family from Ecuador that I had to hold the iPad for as they said goodbye to their father. So, um, I didn't see one bit of racism. I didn't see one bit of people not caring about a specific. In fact, the only guy that we actually released and was able to walk out of there was a healthy 30-something-year-old gentleman that was African-American. The only reason it hit him hard is because he had sickle cell anemia. Once we got all that under control, he he walked out. He was fine. And and he had a wife that worked in that hospital, uh, worked in healthcare. Um, She wasn't allowed to even come up even though she worked there. I don't yeah. think she worked actually in that hospital. I think she worked in the system. So, I, you know, I just didn't see any of that. I didn't. I, I felt like we worked well together as a team. And I would have felt betrayed, too, if, if one of those nurses would have taken out of context. Sometimes we have to make jokes to kind of keep moving. We can't break down and feel the real feelings of everything we're dealing with or we won't get our jobs done. So to people walking by, it seems callous, but it is a survival mechanism. If we were, listen, if we really didn't care, we wouldn't be there. So, so is that your, like, I was going to ask you about, like, what do you think about the TikTok nurses? You, you know what I'm talking about? No, uh-uh. I, and uh, one of the things that we criticize, like, a lot online is the TikTok nurses because they're the one, like, there's, you get, first you either get, like, wear a mask wherever you go or you're going to kill your grandma. And then, like, the next thing you'll see is, like, a TikTok nurse, like, dancing, like, booty grinding on on a pole or something like that with masks and a bikini <laughs> yeah or something yeah. like that and I, I was like and I can kind of like understand a little bit because I work night shift and I remember having I remember having some crazy nights where I've probably had way too much caffeine and yeah. we were just silly and stupid you, you have yeah. to have those moments though to deal with it you just yeah. do that's why I took like but I I was, took a, we never video ourselves and put it on TikTok well I mean I didn't video myself but I did take a Chiquita banana outfit and my I last day that. there I dressed <laughs> up and because you know people need to laugh a little bit they need to have that kooky fun like employee that comes in and lightens the moon and I handed out baby bananas because there were no real ripe bananas. So they ended up being baby bananas anyways. But I mean, it, it endear people t- towards you. You're affable. They want to work with you. They, you know, and it was just my way of kind of making everybody laugh a little bit, but um, I didn't put it out there on TikTok. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's smart. I did see a funny TikTok <laughs> video of a girl like wearing, like she was into video games and you know, with video games, like when you're trying to put on gear, it'll, if you have enough points, you can put on certain gear. And if you don't, it'll say, 
Mm-hmm. And she kept putting on the stuff that would work, but they're like, eh. but then like the silly stuff that shouldn't work, like a like a bath sponge on her face. They're like, that works, you know. And then she was in a full. Well, that's bubble. where we're at now. Yeah, <laughs> this was a full bubble. Like, okay, this works. But it was pretty funny. But now, I, here, listen, I am a big proponent of in life moderation is usually key, and that's in your ideals, that's in put what you put in your body, that's in how you treat other people. You don't go to one extreme or the other. And the answer is usually somewhere in the middle. Um, I think be smart about it. Like if you are around somebody who's going to be at risk, listen, I have no problem wearing a mask. If I had been tested when I got home, before I got home, I got both my antibodies and my PCR test. They're both negative, which I find pretty fascinating because I really did think the antibodies would come out positive. Because like I said, at the end, I really was not wearing, I wasn't wearing my N95 mask every time. I was in the unit. I did when I went in the room, but I did mm-hmm. not wear it in the unit because it was just so stifling at some points because the air conditioning would go out in some of these units. Um, and we stopped wearing bunny suits towards the end. We were just wearing yellow gowns. Um, the Nothing changed about the virus, and the supply was fine. So, But one of the infection doctors was like, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not. This is get a little bit overkill. I think we're going to be okay. Um, but I had heard that I had been exposed to it back in January from a patient that was in one of our offices that was actually confirmed as a COVID case, but she was fine. She just had a little bit of a cold. So I was just surprised that it didn't show up with antibodies. But we had people who only a week prior were still positive that showed up with negative antibodies, should, should have had positive antibodies. So I don't really trust the tests. But I, I was do, just, that was my next question. Yeah. That was, you already answered it. Yeah, because that was my next question because I keep hearing, I've heard uh, I just posted on Facebook because somebody else posted it, like a story from three months ago mm-hmm. about how they found all these these tests that they sent over to UK yeah. that were already contaminated yeah. with COVID. And so I'm just like, how, I, how much should we trust these tests? And then with that being said, how much should we trust the numbers? Right. You know what I mean? Like these new cases that the yeah. surge... That we're all going through now. And as I'm saying this, let's see, it is, um, yeah, it's June 30th. Well, and the antibodies test is what I was surprised at. The PCR test just showed that I wasn't current with it. Um, my thing is, is there's false positives for, for flu. It's the same type of thing where you have to get up and almost, if you don't make their eyes water when you take it, if you've had a PCR test and your eyes didn't water and you didn't feel like somebody was scraping a layer of skin off your nose, that nurse didn't do it right. And so my thing would be like, if they didn't do that, it could very likely be a false negative. And that's going to continue our spread because we need to know who the positives and negatives are so that they can take proper precautions. So I think it's important that we have reliable testing if we're going to not be in a lockdown state for the rest of our life. I think that's important. Um, and, but I just think, you know, if you're going to be, like I, like I said, if I was going to be back coming back home and I knew I had been positive at this point, I probably could have gotten exposed. If I go see my son's grandparents, I'm going to wear a mask just because they're older, they have heart issues. I just don't want to even make that call and, 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 and make them possibly get infected. It doesn't help me at all to wear a mask, really, mm-hmm. honestly and truly. Um and I, I think I'm, I would take that chance to think that I don't have any underlying issue that's been undiagnosed or some weird, you know, mutation with my DNA that puts me at risk. I would take that risk just so I can live my life. I'm not going to live out of fear um, as a nurse. But I can tell you, if I were at risk, I would be in the house taking care of myself. I would not be being exposed because it is a rough 
rough death. I mean, it's a slow, arduous, very painful death to watch these people go through. And the sad thing was, being that I'm connected with hospice is my background, it's really rough to try to console a family through an iPad. That was the hardest part. Yeah. And to try to, the reason there was so, like, I could have, honestly, they didn't really need me at the end, but they wanted to keep us because, honestly, they were getting kicked back by keeping the, the, the staff nurses. There were some travel nurses that tried to quit earlier, and they're like, oh, you don't want to quit, but I was taking care of one patient. Mm-hmm. For the last four weeks. And most of them, really, I could have had three or four patients. But they just kept us all. But they could have had that ICU closed probably months before had they started allowing the families to come in and dress in bunny suits and sign a waiver or whatever. Those families would have done that. Yeah. And they would have been able to see for themselves that, listen, even if they come out of this, okay, now I'm starting to see all. It's one thing if you pan an iPhone around and they see, like, the machine. Then they over here, they see a drip. Then they see their family member doesn't even look like they're alive but when they see the whole thing together and they see the mass just chaos that the hospital looked like it was in when I first got there they get the gravity of it and they don't keep their families on machines for two months to ultimately in the end still have a death where they lingered see that's that's my thing it's like you know we you and I work in the hospice together so Mm -hmm. one of the things that drives me crazy and you know my my mother-in-law passed away during all this too yeah i feel like a lot of the patients that we had a lot of times they probably would have passed away sooner if they had kind of lost hope and they didn't have any loved ones nearby but i think that some of them really held on tried to live as healthy or be you know as alive as they could be you know for their family because i think that makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a bad thing sometimes i think that sometimes when you're trying to hold on there's a reason there's a reason yeah and i mean to say like my mother-in-law lived a pretty isolated life okay so like the only joys in her life really as far as family were concerned were her grandchildren and her son yeah and she didn't get to see any of them Mm -mm. so i was just thinking like you know, part of it was, and she never, she didn't die of COVID, just so you guys know. She had a whole different set of issues. But when you don't let family members go back and see their loved ones. Well, but didn't she, I mean, but honestly, didn't she though? A little bit because she was scared to go to the hospital because of the COVID. Yeah, so I guess that's a, true. It's an indirect, that's what people don't. Yeah. That's why, okay, I'm not. Trying to get too political, but this is a political podcast. So I'm just going to say right out the gate, I don't really respect Fauci. I think he sells fear a lot more than knowledge. And his job as, you know, our medical leader and one that's advising the country. And yeah, maybe he got into it for the right reasons and was there for the AIDS epidemic and did some amazing things apparently in his career. But he also has become friends with a lot of lobbyists and a lot of big pharma people and I have to question that even with the best intentions, how does that not skew your vision? But my the biggest thing is, is you can't just look at how the virus is infecting people and say that that's my only job is to make sure nobody gets infected. If you're really caring about healthcare and the whole gambit, the whole kit and caboodle, you have to also say, okay, how is this going to affect people going into hospitals? How do we educate them on don't be afraid when you have symptoms and go get checked? Don't yeah. be afraid to get it because we're going to safeguard this part of the hospital. That's what should have been being said. Like in hospitals, they are they have one area that's clean and one entrance that's not clean. They're going to be checking you here. Please don't stay. That should have been being said a long time ago. Please oh, don't avoid my, going I to know. the hospital. Because my stepdad also, who's a physician, was experiencing people like 
who would normally come in, they could take care of it and get them released the next day. These people were staying there for weeks or passing away from simple problems that could have been fixed because they were so scared to get COVID. They didn't get their problems checked out. Yeah, I think I I know that, and especially because a lot of these things were shut down too. All these, mm-hmm. you know, like procedure, other procedures that were considered non-essential were shut down, and so people who needed like hip replacements or knee replacements, they couldn't get them. I know one guy who was um, in a car accident years ago, and he finally it took him forever to finally get his eye surgery scheduled so he could see, mm-hmm. and they canceled it. Like, he finally got it. I remember him posting, like, on Facebook, I finally got this this scheduled now. I'm going to go in. And then they canceled it because we went into quarantine. Yeah. So now he's going to have to go back through the whole process again. Yeah. Well, in that, in that case, I mean, if he's functioning without it, I would say that wasn't necessary. I'm talking about people who are having a little chest pain. They should probably get it checked out. You know, and they've had a history of MI. Or we had a kid, bless his heart, that when I was working the non-COVID unit, um, had turned 27, came off his dad's insurance. So just really couldn't afford his hyperthyroidism medication. Went to a hyper, at like a thyroid store. Yeah, that's one that's of those where terrible. it was like, they also wanted to give Lasix. And I basically said, no, their blood pressure is 50 over 30. You're going to kill him. Yeah, but he does, he has all this fluid. He, he's cardiogenic shock. Everything's shunting to his, no, we're not going to do that. Let's support his blood pressure. Let's get him intubated first. Let's, you know. So, I mean, there was definitely situations where, yes, I had to kind of be a doctor and tell the residents, along with another CRNA and another nurse that I was sitting there with, we were looking at each other like, are they really going to try to do it to give Lasix to this person? But we intervened and it was fine. But, like, he wasn't seeking out care because, A, he couldn't afford it, but right then and there it was in- inconvenient. So he didn't take yeah. it for months. And he almost died. We had to put him on ECMO. And get him transferred. Um, I think he did okay. But, I mean, it was really touch and go there for a while. Then we had a lot of patients that were CHF. What we about had cancer a- patients? Because I know a lot of cancer patients that couldn't get their treatments. Right, right. Um, well, I didn't ha- I actually didn't end up taking care of a lot of patients that had cancer. I did have a COVID patient that actually survived longer and did a much better that had already had lung cancer. Um, which tells you that the body was already compensating. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but we also had... You know, on the other side of that coin, you got to consider the whole gamut of health. We're also talk. Let's talk about mental health. Yeah. Let's talk about um, the fact that you know you had what was it Texas? They the, oh it was Florida. Orlando was saying they were having such an influx of uh, abused children coming in. Yep. Um, so that was coming out of the word where woodwork. Uh, there was literally one night that I worked there where we had three jumpers come into Queens. Um, one of which had broken. I don't know how he broke. Just about. Uh, one vertebrae in every area, cervical down to lumbar. Um, oh, my God. He was going to be paraplegic, but somehow didn't break his pelvis. It was very weird. It was supposed to come to us to the non-COVID unit, but it was he was in surgery way over 10 hours because um, uh, we heard about it like two hours into the shift, and we were going get, to be getting him. And that was one night where it was just three jumpers. I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I think that kind of stuff just makes me so mad because, like, okay, let me just say – I listened to when all this was starting to go down. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking like something just doesn't seem right. Something seems off. And I was listening to a, a Dr. Drew. He was talking about like the, the news is lying to you. They're making you scared. Just listen to Dr. Fauci. Just li- that's all you need to do. 
So I went and I listened, I went on YouTube and I listened to like the latest thing from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Fauci was saying like, we need to shut down everything. Yeah. We're all, it, the death rate is going to be blah, 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 high. And I was like, Did okay. Dr. Drew ever come back and say, maybe I, like, I might be wrong? Maybe Dr. Drew needed to listen to that speech because that was pretty scary. Yeah. And I remember just getting really stressed out about it. And then I remember like our mayor talking about, um, I think this was like two weeks in. He said that there was um, like nine suicides, mm -hmm. okay, in the first two weeks. And um, he's like, we've got to do something. This can't, this lockdown can't keep going. We have a right. pretty good, awesome mayor. Yeah, we um, And he was saying we can't. I, I don't agree with Bill Lee, but I have to do what he says. But I don't think this is the a good option for long term. We've already got nine suicides. And then... Um, our county has five COVID deaths. So that tells you within the first two weeks, we already outdid the, the COVID deaths. So that tells you what is more scary. What is the more, I don't know. Yeah. You mean, you know what I mean? and yeah, you're meaning like the suicides, their mortality rate was a lot higher than the COVID rate. Um, and I will tell you, like most everybody else I've talked to, same thing, obese, hypertension patients, heart patients, these are the patients that were not going to recover from this. I I just never saw anybody healthy in that ICU. Unless, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, why was more so attention my, given to that and not towards, like, this is what you could do right, right now. That's why our le the levity, like, with our mayor, there needed to be some levity brought to this. That's why I don't, even though Fauci may not be wrong about some of the things he asserts, when you tell just an audience of people who's not well-versed in healthcare, especially, to just be afraid and stay indoors, they're not going to question it. But if you, if for the intelligent people who are resisting that are going to just knee-jerk and say, no, I'm not going to do it, you're also, you're, you're putting people in fear to where they're never going to leave the house. That's not healthy for them. Then you're getting the people who are, have the opposition. You need to, in a very conscious and thoughtful way say listen here are some of the things we're afraid of and this is why we're saying to do this until we know better and mm -hmm. until we know better we'll start updating you about the masks and things like that for right now it's looking like if you're going to be around a high-risk patient if you're going to be around high-risk people you definitely need to wear you know even if you feel like you're healthy you know starting to educate or say you know when we start doing lockdowns, there's, you're going to reach out to your friends who have mental health issues because we're going to start seeing an influx, preparing people for that. That should have been thought about ahead of time yep. before you put information out there. And am I perfect at doing that? No, but that's not my position. I'm not a leader of this country trying to advise people, but I still think as a nurse, when I tell somebody something, how is this going to land with that person? And I have to consider the audience. So it's like there has to be some education with it. Mm -hmm. And since you're considering the audience, some of us are dumb out here. Maybe dumb it down in a little bit. And when you say wear a mask and this thing will kill you, put some levity with it. But if you take these steps, you will be safe. And please don't like be a Karen and tell on people and create a divide <laughs> to where your neighbor ends up murdering you, not COVID. You know what I mean? Like that. Or the tells themselves because they're just so overhearing you bitch and moan right. constantly about how people aren't wearing masks. I, I oh god, I was just telling you like uh, um I sent you some some Karen's like post on Facebook and I was like this is why I won't wear a mask like if someone like that comes up to me and tells me that the, I need to do anything and it could even be something that I really should do 
I just will not do it yeah. because that person's approach to it is just such an awful approach. Yeah, but there's some people on the other side of the coin, too, that are bad about it. Um, like, I, I have a friend who posted a meme on Facebook while I was up there that it said, if you if you allow the government to force you to wear this and it had a mask, that means it won't be so hard to get you to wear this and it was a hijab. And I was like, okay, well, okay. that's a little bit far reaching because I am willingly wearing a mask. Not because my government told me to, but because I'm in a high risk area, and because yeah. until we know more, I'm willing to I'm willing to smell my own breath for a little bit. I'm willing to maybe get some bumps on my on my jaw, which I did get a fungal infection um, from wearing the mask so much. But um, I'm willing to do that. I can do that for my fellow person. But don't think that I'm a mindless like sheep. I, you know, if somebody t- gave me more like. Told you're me, a nurse. Listen, yeah. You're an ICU nurse. Like, right. you actually wore it for a reason. Yeah. These people are like, some of these people are like legit wearing, they're wearing the mask inside their car as they're driving around. I, I saw one and uh, wearing one with their convertible top down. Or one who's like wearing gloves and smoking a cigarette. Right. <laughs> Which, again, that's where like Fauci could have been like, hey, so when you get in your car so you don't cross contaminate, the only reason I would say that. I always want to, I always want to play devil's advocate. So I'm always like, well, maybe that person is an Uber or a Lyft driver and they're so close to their next destination. They're not changing their, or maybe they're planning to get somebody in the car that might be at high risk. Mm -hmm. So I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I, just like, I don't want to be judged if I'm out not wearing a mask. I don't want to judge people who are doing it because I don't know what they're going home to. I, so when people are making these judgments, like you're just a sheeple, if you wear a mask, you don't know. They might be going home to somebody who's at high risk, has like some lung issues, has heart problems. Um, they may, you know, sometimes volunteer at like a nursing home or something like that and be afraid that they're going to take it there. So, but on both sides of the coin, I, nobody's going to tell me to wear a, like a morally um, like conservative outfit for religious purposes because I decided to wear a mask. So let's not also let, yeah, again, moderation, let's not let the pendulum the swing from one side of crazy to the next side of crazy. There is a middle ground, people. There and is crochet. What ground. about crochet masks? Oh, you talking about Melissa Milano? <laughs> idiot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, some even. of these people. Okay. So like, even if the filter is, was on the inside, I can't, I can't even. Like, I was like, why would you take a picture and post that? Here's friends don't let friends post pictures like that. When... We live in Tennessee, so when Tennessee finally opened up, when I got a message from our my my salon, I that means it's official. I was like, <laughs> I am going like I have been waiting like I've been waiting to get waxed for three months, right? A little bit TMI, Jesse. So yeah, I know she's not pushing. But here's the thing, like I'm willing. I, I was willing to wear a mask because I was like, I need to. I need to take care of myself. Like I need. To beautify myself, I want to feel good about myself. I need to get out of the house too. Right. So if I have to wear a stupid mask, so I can just go to the right. salon and get done things done. And they're shutting Florida down again now because there was a little <sighs> bit of a spike. So if I have to wear a mask so that you'll open Florida back up because I have a vacation plan and I deserve it because I was in New York for two fucking yes. months, then I'll fucking wear a mask. But so that's my only thing. It's like, do I do I think that it's doing anything? Oh, no, no, not really. Like I know. The size of a virus is not going, is the mask that I have particularly, the virus, it's going to go straight through. So I don't, I know it's not doing anything, but if I'm it's. I'm a heavy breather. It's coming out there. But if just it's, kidding. so I can just 
go live my life. I'm going to, I'm willing to do that. But I, do I think we, do I think that we need to have like the government tell us that it's mandated to do it? No. Um, so that's my issue is some states, some mayors are making it a mandated thing whenever you're out in public. Well, and I think people want to feel like they're doing something and let's be honest, a pandemic's happened before. It just now happened. It will happen again. Just because we have better medical devices, a little bit more knowledge than like, say when we had the Spanish flu, um, this we're not going to be able to combat it and not allow it to happen again. Viruses are fucking smart. Well, when it comes to that kind of stuff and how they penetrate and how they evolve. Because most viruses will start off being a lot harsher on their host, killing their host off. They evolve because they want to live and proliferate, so they quit being so harsh. That's what I was just going to say. I was just thinking this, too, because that's the thing. Um, I was telling this to um, another friend of mine. I was like, I don't, think, I don't think people understand how viruses work, and I think that's why people get so panicked. I'm not panicked about it because... I know this virus is going to happen. This is what happened with H1N1. It's what happens with every virus. SARS is the same thing. And SARS and coronavirus are very similar. Um, it is a coronavirus. I mean, yeah, COVID. You know what yeah, I mean? Just, yeah. um, but anyways, what I'm just saying is that a virus is not going to live, is not going to exist much longer if it kills off every host. So it's going to weaken and it's going to become less potent and powerful so that it can survive. That's how the in that's addition how the cold to our immunity work. starting to come up as well, and it meets in the middle. But if we stay at home and we don't go outside, we don't get exposed to anything. Our immune system is not really strengthening. So that's why we need to get out in the sun. So I need to get out around other people. And the thing at the end of the day, our bodies are filled with viruses and bacteria. Oh yeah, and it and it honestly, this happens all the time. When people become sick and they're immunocompromised, sometimes, and a lot of times, their own bacteria or their own viruses within their bodies attack themselves because they suddenly became compromised in some way. Or the balance is off. Just think about it. Like whenever you've been at home um, on when it's not a pandemic and you've been under a lot of stress and suddenly you find yourself with a sore throat and you have strep and you have a cold or you, you know, you have a suddenly spike a fever because you've been under stress. You haven't slept. You haven't eaten very well. You've had multiple things happen in your life that stressed you out because your body is responding to that. And now these things that were already living inside of you that weren't, your your immune system was at its peak level and it was working fine. Suddenly it's not because your body's under a lot of stress. It starts to get sick. That's normal. So, the key is, what I'm trying to say at the end of the day, is we should not be scared like of this virus. We shouldn't be scared of living our lives because, I mean, we can I mean, die well, from anything. Well, here's the thing, and I love what Dr. If anybody ever watches Z-Dog, we take on a certain inherent risk. Every day we live our life non, not in lockdown land. I mean, look at the the fatalities on the road that came down. So actually, like, if you compare that to how many people died, you know, is our mortality rate going to be that much different when we look backwards at all this? Um, And I think there's certain things that, like she said, people underestimate stress. They underestimate having a good diet and just staying happy, doing things that make you happy. I think it's 
underestimated that you should stay playful just because you're an adult and the kids are giving you grief and your life sucks. Go do something that makes you happy. Be playful. Still stay play, Stay in a state of playful. Do something that releases the endorphins and helps stimulate your gut and your immunity. There's so much of that that's connected that people don't realize. So the worst thing we could have done, honestly, is spread fear without information. A, because people feel like they have the right because they heard it on TV to attack people about it. That may be smarter than them. Then on top of that, you're creating fear, which is going to create more stress in the body. It's going to release more cortisol. It's going to make your body less able to fight off infection. And then you're going to put them inside the house where they're in close quarters with not good airflow. You're not going to have them out in the sun. You're not going to have them doing things that make them happy. Um, I mean, connection with other people were created for that. Even if you're not really a people person and you're an introvert, you need to have some of that connection. We exchange sometimes our bacteria and the things on our skin when we, and that helps us introduce us to more and have our immune system be fuller and more healthy. So, I mean, do I, do I think you should go lick a leper? No. Do I think you should just, you know, you should go, you know, become blood. tongue deep. Yeah. Become blood sisters with somebody who has a TB? No. I've been exposed to TB (laughs) more than I can tell you. That scares me more than when people said, aren't you scared? I'm more scared of TB because they, TB really does not care if you're healthy or not. Because let me tell you the patients that I've taken care of that have TB. Two teenagers, a 20 year old and a 30 something year old. All four of those were in the ER and we're not put in a positive pressure room until we realized, oh, wait, it kind of looks like they might have TB. Meanwhile, I've been exposed the whole time mm-hmm. because they had gone to India or whatever and they somehow got exposed. Or, you know, Lima or Peru is really rampant with some um, resistant forms of TB. I only have so one TB me. patient. And I remember she was actually when I was a nursing student and she was from, I think she was from Honduras. Mm-hmm. Um She's like a 14-year-old. Yeah. And she was, I remember her, they did have her in a positive pressure room by the time I saw her and I had to wear my N95 mask, which by the way, you have, like, here's the thing about the N95 mask. You have to actually get tested on that thing. You can't just put it on and you're safe. There's a whole... We got retested when we got to New York. The thing is, is once it gets moist, it's not as effective. So really, honestly, you should be changing it every time you're going in there. We were wearing it the whole shift. Yeah. I would, you know, pocket a few here and there and take them in there. But um, we had enough. It's just that, you know, you didn't have the time to stop and change it every time you went into the room or when it got moist. I wish I had had the data, but somebody posted something. A friend of mine posted something. You know the guy that invented the N95 was from UT, right? Uh -uh. No, I didn't didn't know that. that. Yeah. And he um, came back and uh, has been choring all these uh, factories to help them retrofit to make more N95s to teach them how to make it. Well, one of the things I thought, like you mentioned Florida having that surge again. Uh-huh. I read an article saying that that surge was mostly from migrant workers coming from South America. So it wasn't like beachgoers, like coming from New York or anything like that. Is it, it was white privilege to be upset that the migrant workers may have messed up my vacation. Yeah. Okay. But it's, to be honest, like just, you just being I'm white. Really, yeah. You already ruined it for everybody anyway, so okay. just being born. I'm not being callous or, you know, if you but know I, me, yeah. you know I'm a very caring person and I have friends of every nationality in my group. Um, I think that that's where, and I could be wrong, but I think that's where the surge come from because they were all working, all of them, it wasn't like all over Florida, it was like right. in specific places where these migrant workers were coming and working in like very close yeah. spaces. Well, I this I'm supposed to go to Key West, and the bars are apparently closed. So hopefully, that by the sucks. time I go, and the by the 11th, it'll be lifted. 
But Key West is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky to be going. But I'm um, supposed to be going to St. George at the end of this month, so it better they fuck get better before we go down there. Yeah. Because I'll um, be pissed myself. But I mean, I, again, I, I think Dr. Fauci, listen, Dr. Fauci's only job is to make sure that, you know, disease didn't spread. Nobody said to him, we need to balance this with the rest of the, the secondary health problems that this COVID lockdown is going to cause. Nobody said that to him. So when he's just doing a job, he's out to scare everybody because that's he's thinking in his head, if people take it seriously, it won't spread anymore. I've done my job. I don't get fired. Yeah. Um. And he wouldn't have gotten fired. Anyway. He feels really important if he can. I mean, you know, for some people, causing fear or making people scared of something is a source of power. I mean, uh, they feel CNN, powerful. MSNBC, Fox News. So That's, I have to question what's your jobs. motivation for putting the information out the way you did without coupling it with good, solid information and education. Without also saying, hey, also look out for this population and this population because somewhere down the road, this might be problematic. Let's do this together. There was not a unifying message ever that came out of his mouth from what I saw. Um, I mean, I know he had a job to do. I don't want to vilify him. I just don't think he did it well. And I think somewhere along the way, you know, people started making fun of Trump and you're making me defend him. A guy I I personally didn't vote for him. I don't think he's a good person. But as, as far as like his policies and things like that, he wasn't wrong about the hydroxychloroquine. He was being advised about it. I took it myself, and here's the thing. There's now still doing studies. It wasn't helpful when we give it to people who are already in the throes of this disease. It doesn't help that way. It helps prophylactically or when it first starts, before you even get symptoms. Yeah, kind of like the, uh, with the Tamiflu or And with the high-dose like. vitamin C. Well, the Tamiflu is, honestly, people are like, it doesn't work. Well, it's not supposed to make it go away. All it does is lessen Shorten. the severity and yeah. the length. And that's also, by the way, what people don't understand about vaccines for flu I'm not saying you have to get it. If you're one of those people who's like, I get the flu from it. You're not educated. That's okay. It's fine. You don't have to get it. But what you're having is an like an inflammatory response to that. And that's how your body identifies the foreign invader and sets up immunity. So these nurses, by the way, if you're a nurse and you're listening to this, please stop telling your patients that if you start feeling feverish or a little achy, take an ibuprofen because you're giving them an anti-inflammatory and inflammation is sometimes actually helpful in the body. That's how... Your immune system flags that foreign invader, and that's how you build immunity. So don't do that. Tylenol might be okay, but don't do an ibuprofen. So when people take those shots and they're like, oh, it was the wrong strain. It was stupid. We get it every year. It's always the wrong strain. Actually, even if it's the wrong strain, much like Tamiflu, an antiviral after the fact, it will help decrease your length and severity if you do end up getting it. So even if it's the wrong strain, your body's like, okay, it's not the same flu and they're a little bit different tactically speaking. So it's like if you look at it from a from a war standpoint and they're an enemy coming in, it's okay, so they've got this they've got the same outfits, but they're doing things a little different. But we know that they attack this, so they have some information. They so they the severity and the length is lessened. And then you take an antiviral like Tamiflu or um remdesivir or something like that. It, even Tamiflu helps towards other virus loads. Even, you know, um a cyclovir supposedly helps towards other virus loads. So it's very minimal. Is anything going to cure it all together? Probably not. Yeah. We haven't found a cure for the common cold. Yeah, there's so viruses you have to kind of just let them run their course. Right. There's things so you there's can really do. There's really not to, much you can do. There's things you can do to lessen 
the severity of it when you get hit, but the biggest thing you're going to do is learning how to handle it prophylactically. Get your good sleep. Take your vitamin D. Go get it checked if you're, most people are deficient. I have to take a. I had to take a prescription grade. Level. I think they did a study too where they was, most people with, are deficient. They found that a lot that people who's like I don't even know what the level is. I wish I could remember, but if your vitamin D level was above a certain rate, like you had yeah. a much better chance of like kicking the virus and everything. And it's not just immune system. I mean, it helps bone structure, muscle structure. It helps your um, your neurotransmitters. You usually have a little bit better serotonin, melatonin, um, and dopamine type of level. It affects all of that stuff. Um, and then I took a high dose of vitamin C. There's a lot of, you know, inconclusive studies out there, but essentially speaking, vitamin C helps with colds and viruses, but also one of the things that kills you when you get this is uh, sepsis. You go through multi-organ um, failure. And we know that when in, when you're going into multi-organ failure, vitamin C levels drop in those patients significantly. We don't know if it's what causes the multi-organ or if it's a response to that. Um, but getting that at the front end and also just living a healthy life and, and you know not being afraid of getting some infections here and there, but staying active when you get a cold. Don't just stay in the house the whole time. You know, Get out, get some fresh air. Those types of things are why our nation also was probably hit a little bit harder than it should because we are not of the mindset, like I said on our last podcast, that's why I don't think national health care is going to work. We're not of the mindset that preventative care works. We we all listen to the commercials about take this pill if you get this. It's going to cause you to shit yourself, so then take this pill, and that pill is going to cause you to twitch your eye, but you can take this pill. We're chasing problems with pills instead of just... Fixing the underlying problem, which is usually you need to just take better care of yourself. Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, I will say, like, I am, as you guys know, I'm a capitalist. And so I think that that is the best system that we've ever, that has ever existed. It's not the perfect system, but compared to everything we've ever tried, capitalism has brought more people out of poverty. But at the end of the day, I do feel like other countries are a lot better at, you know, understanding the importance of vacation time and the importance of family time. Like I think of like France or Italy or even months at a time. God, like even China guys, China literally makes them go on vacation. Don't you mean China? China. But I mean, yeah, I know that or holiday, they call it holiday. But we need to, we as a nation, we have such a um, fascination with making money and like just producing, producing, producing and making things better. And that's, What's made America like the best nation in the world? I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying that we also need to put a high priority on our own mental health and on like just trying our best to just live our best life. Like, you know, that may mean you're not going to be a millionaire. That may mean, though, you still get to go on vacation every summer. Or, well, you know, the, 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 also the healthcare issue comes down to we've lost the importance of connection. Yeah, that's why healthcare has gone out the windows. Well, because at the base, at the foundation of it, you need to have a good connection with your nurse, with your doctor. Um, you need their time so that they can listen and really figure out the problem that you don't even know is there, but the communication learn about has your happened. learn about it. Because me, okay, I did a um, and it's not out yet when we're as we're recording this, but I did a podcast with another guy, Truth Disciple, and we talked about the Tuskegee experiment mm-hmm. and. We were, you know, one of the questions he asked me was like, well, what do you think was the good thing that came out of the Tuskegee experiment? Because he was thinking like nothing good came out of it. What was the point? We already knew what the cure was by the time it was over. Because, yeah. you know, we knew the cure for it was 
penicillin back in 1947, decided it end like till 1973 or something. So I was like, well, maybe through this podcast, maybe some other podcasts, maybe through other mediums, maybe it's made more people question their doctors a little bit more, mm-hmm. maybe question you know, do a little bit more research when you're diagnosed with something, looking up other alternatives. And maybe don't treatment. be so harsh on some populations of patients that are mistrusting of the healthcare industry. There might be a reason why. My roommate yes. was from Colorado and she says, you know, by and large, that population, because of what had happened, not very trusting of the healthcare industry. And I can't blame. I can't blame a population for knowing that that was in their history and they were used as guinea pigs. I would, if that was part of my history, of something that was a part of me, that would be something that would be in the back of my mind as well. So understanding that as a provider too, like I'm going to have to work harder to gain this person's trust, but -hmm. we don't have time. We don't take time to connect with people anymore. We also, before we start talking about racial divisions and all these things that are causing our country and like not having healthcare and all, we also have forgotten about the family unit because I, like, like you said, capitalism is good because you don't patronize at, or you don't become a patron of a business that doesn't do good work. So then people who are not doing good work fall to the wayside. But at the same time, we can't get so money hungry and focused. That's where capitalism, I think, goes wrong. And that we've broken up the family unit because the dad's working the whole time. Uh Even people I know that still grew up with both their parents married. They never divorced. They were intact. But they don't feel like one of their parents was there. And they feel like they got a raw deal. And so they, you know, some of them grew up better for it. Some of them didn't. Um, and they still have a struggle with that. So, I mean, I think we can, you know, refocus on the family unit communication and try to get this country to start thinking of things in terms of preventative care in a real way and not scaring them into, like, preventative care is wearing a mask and that's it. Um, <gasps> yes, please. Um, Miss me with that bullshit. Let's, let's couple it, like I said, like, just the treatments of the virus. If you get the virus... Prophylactic use of things and being healthy is going to be the most helpful. But if you get it, there's several things that you can take right right when you get it. And then if you start getting bad, not one thing is going to be helpful. It's going to be a, a myriad. It's going to be a grouping of things um, that comes in. And I, towards the end, there, I mean, we were using things like um, what that, there was one person who came out and talked about it with hate, and I can't think about it right now. And we were using it and it's, um, it dries you out. It's an hate by the way, is high altitude pulmonary edema. This is what this was really acting like. Um, and that, let me put it to you this way if you're not medical. So if I keep sending packages or if I keep ordering packages from Amazon, there can be a ton of people in the Amazon warehouse that get all my packages together. But if I don't have a carrier to bring it to my house, it doesn't matter how many packages I have, I order, it's never going to get to me. Same thing if we intubate somebody. We can put as much oxygen as we want in those lungs. If it can't cross the barrier and get taken into the bloodstream and taken to our cells, it doesn't matter how much oxygen we put in there. And that's why this was so difficult. It's like, but if we didn't intubate them, they were not going to get enough oxygen. So that's why there was this conundrum of do we or do we not? But you could just leave them there suffocating. So you had to do something. Um, But at that point, you could also damage the lung tissue um, to where it's irreversible. So it was, it was not, there wasn't a, it wasn't a black and white type of thing to intubate or not intubate. But we, you know, we were, there were a lot of people that were getting intubated way too early. Then they backed off of that. Then they realized some of them weren't getting intubated enough. So it was, it was touch and go there for a little while. But 
So there's not going to be one thing. So just like the mask, okay, so we find out maybe that's 2% helpful, which that's being a little bit gracious even. <laughs> but um, to not spread it. Um, and you see different numbers everywhere. That's going to have to be coupled with a lot of other things. You're going to have to start learning how to do better hand hygiene. You're, we need to start putting the door holders or openers in the bathroom, in the public bathroom, so we don't have to touch surfaces after we've washed our hands. But then you're going to walk right out there and touch products that other people have touched. So, I mean, just, you know, and, and also there's people are like hand sanitizer everywhere. Let's also be aware of like you can breed a superbug with the hand sanitizers too. So yeah. there's, a, there's a bad side to every coin that we're using to kind of pay the piper here. Um, so just consider that, um, be smart, all things in moderation, um, stay healthy. That's the best way you can combat this. And I think as things kind of calm down, we're going to start learning more about how this, how this attacks the body. Um, I'm personally not afraid to take a vaccine. If I'm going to be working in the healthcare industry, I know other people are against it. If it's healthy, I don't think Bill Gates is out trying to control my population or anything like that. I think he doesn't like it. I don't think it was a grand like scheme to kill like half the nation. I don't think that's what was going on, but um, that's just my personal opinion. I think. He's a shade. Uh, to me. He's shady. He's but shady, I'm, and he's done some studies in other countries where people have died and gotten, or have had been severely injured. He's not even allowed back in India, for example, because right. of studies he's done with the tribal people there. Right. So my thinking is, is like with a vaccine, because it takes a long to study it and test it. Right. Like if it's going to be a long time. If they were to be like, oh, we have safe. it ready by November. Isn't that convenient? I wouldn't take it. Yeah, I would be like... It takes years to, yeah. do, to develop a, a healthy and safe vaccine. And I was saying this, another thing, to, this is another thing I was saying on that podcast, too, about the syphilis thing, is because we talked about vaccines later. Like, if they were to say, well, we've studied it, and, and we've seen it all, how it's worked out, mm -hmm. I would be like, okay, so did you have, did you know the vaccine, or did you know the um, virus existed, like, way before it actually we knew about it and you've been studying this on other mm -hmm. people because then now that means that you lied to us about a lot of stuff or do, are you just releasing this out and you really didn't study it which means that you're still lying to us yeah. about something yeah <laughs> so yeah. so there's an interesting um uh documentary called pandemic on netflix that was released before this all happened where um there's a guy that's trying to uh, have the end all be all flu vaccine basically by putting in all strains and he's been testing it year after year on pigs. I mean, he's been doing this for years. Um, he did get a grant from Bill Gates, but that's because he wants to, he's separate. He's by himself. He doesn't work for a big pharma, but he needed the funding. So, um, but it does, it does do a lot to, to explain like viral load and things like that. So it's an interesting thing to watch. Do I think that Bill Gates sets out to destroy the population, even though he doesn't, he thinks we're overcrowded. No, do I think he used his um, do-gooder um, foundation and his money to kind of do something he thought was going to be good and he was going to look like a hero, but it went awry? Yeah, I think that that's definitely probably part of the case. But it's not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like an anti-vaxxer because he's evil. I can still, that can still exist and there can still be good things that happen with a vaccine like polio um so to eradicate that so and smallpox and things like that so i'm just I, I, my whole thing is and you can disagree with me out there in the public but i'm <laughs> all about moderation 
He's probably not the best man ever, but is he out to murder the whole country? Probably something ha- is in the middle. He middly wants to murder everybody. That's all I think. Just maybe half the population. Okay, well, that would be in the middle. See what I mean? <laughs> Everything happens in the middle. I do think, though, I will say this. I do think that, um, like... I'm just po- not ready. Like, I don't look good in tinfoil hats, so I just can't do it. I do. I look sexy as hell. Um, I was thinking, pasties. though... pasties. <laughs> I was thinking the my issue with Bill Gates is maybe spend less time on buying patents for viruses so you can make a vaccine before the, we even know how dangerous the vaccine or the virus is or even do this like in India for example and in most places in certain um, areas in Africa why don't you spend a lot more time on in helping those places improve their infrastructure, have cleaner water, clean water, clean water, cleaning clean. up the pollution in the environment? Because my thing, like we were, I, I was listening to something about polio, and they were talking about how, like, when they finally had the vaccine for polio, it was actually on the decline, anyways. And that, yeah. and they at that same time, we actually had more access to cleaner water. We had better infrastructure. And people were just living, were just cleaner. And that may be the case. My point, my point is though, I'm not willing to throw all that knowledge out just because we're starting to get these theories that there's other things involved. Yes, there's other variables. Yeah. But let's still look at it. For me, it's like you know, I, I've never, I've not, I've not had any adverse, you know, reactions to any of that. My kid hasn't, you know. But I did space my sons out just because I thought that that was a lot for the immune system to filter through all at once. He yeah. got all of his, but I just spaced him out. I just, I put my, I put my own schedule on my son's vaccines, but he got them all. So, um, you know, I just, coming from a scientific background, I understand that there's always variables that people just don't account for uh, that can come up later. So let's relook at it, but let's not yeah. do a knee jerk reaction. See, that's, and like, be like, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Having like more of a, um, there's a middle ground, like you said, where you can be, you don't necessarily have to be an anti-vaxxer, but you can be questioning of certain vaccines or the schedule right. of the vaccines. And then, like, just in general. Like or the safety you, of what they use for the fillers and the vaccines. Because yeah. that, I mean, there was enough outcry of, of the mercury use that they brought it down and they made sure they brought the formaldehyde use down. Most of them are pretty natural now. So. But look at, just look at everything. Like, I know my doctor had tried to put me on... Um, cholesterol medicine because my HDL was just like a little bit high, but overall my numbers were... Well, you were, want your HDL to be high. Or, or maybe it's the LDL. Sorry. Yeah. The LDL was a little high, but my overall, the number in general was... The ratio range. is what you really need to look at. And there's actually... The thing is, is now, we, now we're starting to learn, too, that it's not just that the cholesterol levels are there. It's the amount of inflammation that cholesterol causes. Mm-hmm. So if you can also get inflammation down in your body, the cholesterol, and, and, and help take in the healthy cholesterol, I'm not a big fan of statins at all. So if they were trying to put you on a statin. That's what, yeah, that's what he was trying to do, and I already knew. Yeah. I already looked at statin drugs, and I knew I didn't want to do that. And that's Red yeast just... rice. Start taking red yeast rice. Uh, putting cinnamon and, and control your sugar to help with the inflammation. Sugar causes more inflammation than fat does. So yeah, uh, there's lots of things you can do naturally. And I'm not saying that those always work. Sometimes people really do have a genetic disposition where their liver just puts out way too much cholesterol. In those cases that are rare, 
Um, they may have to have something intervene like a statin. They may be healthy. They may run. I mean, I've had patients that are like that. They're far and few between. But I mean, I did a wellness program for years where I got people off statins. I was like, why don't we get you off those meds? And yeah, they're taking five different natural path pills. They're taking like cinnamon pills because you can't eat a spoonful of cinnamon. We've seen how that works out. It doesn't work I out well. I dare you to try. Don't do it. Don't bring that back. <laughs> anyway, and so... But, you know, you take pills, you take turmeric, which is helpful for inflammation. You take red yeast rice, which lower their cholesterol. Um, and Lisa I got, and I are going to do the cinnamon challenge after this is over. No. <laughs> we can do like rumple mints or Goldschlager. Goldschlager makes the prettiest puke you've ever seen. It's the first time I ever got drunk and puked was on Goldschlager. No. It's beautiful. Make yourself apple schneiders, which is apple, like apple cider and... And schnapps. schnapps, it's like the best, but don't mix it with eel. We have really gone off because base here. <laughs> that will make you vomit all eel. night long. Yes, I went and I had I made myself apple schneiders after I just went to eat like eel um, sushi, and that was bad. That that is worse than COVID. I'm sure I'm, our I'm readers are so happy that we've informed them of our apple schneiders and eel <laughs> sushi. Worse than COVID and AIDS and <laughs> Probably cancer. actually cures it. Probably actually cures it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't have COVID, so no. there you go, and guys. I was in COVID phases, and I don't have that. So. All right. So never mind. Eel and Apple Schneiders. <laughs> that, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, you'll take away Eel, Apple Schneiders, and the fact that we two women are highly intelligent beings. <laughs> I know. That all in itself. That last two minutes. Well, do you have any other specific questions about like COVID and what, what I was seeing or like New York in general was just, it was interesting. And I will say that the bus systems were open for free. Um, so here you are, you're, you're a city that's already going into major debt and I get it that you're trying to get the workers where they need to go. Um, and you know, for a while there, I was excited because Lyft was supposed to be free but then you had to go through this health thing. And then they said, oh, the hospital has to arrange it. The hospital didn't have time to arrange like hundreds of nurses like to and from. Like yeah. they had to call and get uh, arrange a ride for us for it to be valid. Like so nobody thought that they like looked that out. So I know that the thanks a lot, Uber and Lyft. But thank, no thanks. You made it difficult. Nobody followed through with it. But they, they did there was like Airbnb was really helpful and there, all these hotels were really helpful. They put us up for free. Um, I, the Airbnb we had was a discount and then we found another one that was free and they were really nice. They were trying to help out. These were individuals behind that. But the bus systems, it was like for free for just essential workers. They weren't checking people. People were wearing masks under their nose. They were, <laughs> the homeless people were sitting right beside me when there were nobody else on the bus. They were surely not essential. Um, uh, so, I mean, there's... And then when they started kind of loosening up on the reins, it was still supposed to be for essential workers, but it was crowded. We were face to face. So it's like, this is why this would never have happened in Tennessee, because you just don't have this public transport alone, just alone, the public yeah. transport alone. They had to, it's probably the cleanest the subways are ever going to be because they act, because nobody was on there. They could close it down and they would do a mass exodus of some of the homeless people that was, and they finally did a full terminal clean. Like, I can't tell you every time I've been to New York, there's, there's been like turds in every corner. I mean, there's dead Gross. rats everywhere or whatever. So it's probably the cleanest I've ever seen it was. That's my, that was probably going to be my biggest thing. And you kind of already talked about it a little bit, but 
you know, it seemed like I was looking at the data and they were showing like these city, the made the the most populated cities in the world, like Tokyo and Mumbai, and they were saying that they had less deaths and less infection rates than New York City. And all I could think of is like, okay, well, the only thing with maybe New York is that it's colder, right? Um, that they, and, they and we are a, a country that we have more money and do more things to treat our patients than anywhere else, but we don't have any better outcomes because you can check a box and do it and you get paid for it. So our system's a little bit broken. So I don't know that, you know, I've heard some things about, well, tell them it's, they have COVID even if they don't have COVID because we yeah. get money for it. I didn't see any of that happening. I didn't see any of the coding of when these people passed away either. Um, I know we had like seven refrigerated trucks, which people were like, oh my gosh, they can't handle the bodies. Most hospitals can't because their morgues are like three refrigerators deep and even big hospitals. They just don't keep them in the morgues like they used to in the old days because the the funeral homes would come pick them up pretty quickly. They couldn't do that in this situation, so they had to have some overflow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never saw that for myself. I never heard a doctor be like, well, we're going to say it's COVID anyway. Or, you know, yeah, we know they died from a heart attack, but it's because COVID exacerbated that. Well, and we work in hospice, so here's my thinking, too, is that, well, we know that... Okay, we'll back up a little bit. Um, Dr. Burks had mentioned on one of those press conferences that Mm -hmm. we are being very liberal with our cases, our COVID cases and how we are labeling them, I guess is how she said it. And then there was another, I don't know, I don't remember who this lady is, an African-American woman saying something about how like if they are a hospice patient and they know that they're already going to die, but they die positive with COVID, we will count that as a COVID death. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, like, how many hospice patients in New York City that were dying of God knows what else yeah. ended up being counted as a COVID yeah. death. And then, but I all- mean, in the same in the same vein, like, there's times where like a patient gets influenza, they have some underlying heart issues, the influenza puts strain on their body, they ultimately die of a heart attack. It just depends on how the doctor decides to 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 put it down, whether it's yeah. complications from the flu or a heart attack. And isn't it like, okay, this, from what I understand, though, it's like every death is pretty much either caused by patients' heart stops, patients stop breathing. Those are the two main things that really, right. that's what kills them. Yeah. So what caused the heart to stop is what caused them to stop breathing. Those are what we're going to be looking yeah. at. And I mean, for it's, one of the you're cases... You're working your way, way backwards, yeah. really. For one of the cases that were, it was like clear heart failure. I mean, he stayed, his pressure was like 40 over 20 for hours. Um, his blood sugar was um, really low. And usually when that happens, it's shunted. So r- the real blood sugar, like the serum blood sugar is probably mm-hmm. fine. But I knew it was almost a, a, an act of mercy. But when you get that reading, you still have to treat it. It's a num- You're treating numbers sometimes. It almost gave him the energy to, to move on out when I gave yeah. him the, the extra um, um, dextrose because he was so low. Um, because it finally gives the energy. Because, you know, there's a theory that there's only so many beats, that you have so many beats in your heart. Um, and it can only function past that. But um, that tissue was sick. That tissue was, I mean, you've got ACE2 receptors in your heart tissue um so those weren't going to be functioning and firing off and he was maxed out on his pressures at that point um there's nothing else we could have done 
even if his heart stopped, I mean, the, the lung machine was still breathing for him. Uh, he still would have continued to go for a little bit. What about the, okay, we, we've now realized that Andrew Cuomo let a lot of patients who were positive with COVID go back to the nursing, nursing homes. homes. Absolutely. And it was like, that's actually, I think the number is like 43% of the deaths are from oh, nursing yeah. homes. And we got quite a few. I had a patient who probably would have done fine, but she was in a nursing home rehabbing her knee. Her husband was there, and she somehow snuck over to his side when he got COVID. He didn't have any lung problems. She had COPD and some other stuff. And she was awake when we had her intubated. I mean, like, she was from a BiPAP. We had started doing BiPAPs and CPAPs towards the end, by the way. And nobody seemed to get infected. Um, So um, I felt bad for her because she was with it, and she just was done. She was tired of trying to breathe and function. She had even written out sound mind and body. She wasn't on any, um, you know, sedation, even though she was intubated, it was sad that she just wanted to go on. She was sound mind. She just like, just take it out. I don't care what happens. If I die, I die. She was over it. She'd been in the hospital for a while. Um, but also some of those patients that were just waiting around to get placed in a long-term facility because they weren't going to be able to make it home. They probably never will be able to make it home. Even if they survive, there were a few that I thought maybe could rehab, and have some quality of life, but most, for the most part, they were going to wait around. For, they're probably still there because none of these long-term facilities are taking anybody from the hospitals because they've got, they've got their hands full. Yeah. So just the healthcare platform and like structure is not a, that's why I said it was, it would never happen here because it's just as many hospitals as, as they have, it's not going to be able to cover that population. Well, I think that um, we have, like you were already saying, New York City is very is the largest city, probably. Oh, what's what's a larger city than, than New York in the world? I don't know Tokyo was right. I mean, Tokyo and Mumbai are. Don't ask me geography questions. Oh, damn it, Kristen. You gotta let me do research. Anyways, that's it's one of the largest cities in the world. We'll just yeah. say that. And I'm just thinking, like, they they didn't think to maybe build more hospitals. Like, it just seems kind of idiotic. Where? everything's like landlocked and then another question is too why like that this is what you get like when you live in a right. populous city and, and my you brother get, you're gonna so get proud. a large amount by the way of my deaths. brother lives there he lives in queens too so um, i think andrew promo is like the best no no i, I was just saying oh. he lives in an area called like bayside uh queens it's really nice it kind of looks like a place here in tennessee called uh, sequoia hills so there's areas where it's like the population's not so dense and it's a little spread out, but at the end of the day, if you have to go to the hospital, you still have to drive back to a dense area and be exposed and all that stuff like that. So I can see why some there's a draw for some of it, but I would have to have tons of money to be there. And yeah. I just, it, I don't, you know, I'm not saying, you know, that you're wrong for living, for liking living in a city, but there's inherent risks that come with every decision you make in life. Like when you get in a car, when you decide not to wear a seatbelt, when you eat certain things, when you um, live certain areas, there's always going to be a risk and you have yeah. to evaluate if it's worth it to you. Same thing with the mask situation. You have to evaluate if, if it's worth it to you. I'm telling you, this is one of the worst deaths I have ever witnessed. It's harsh. It is brutal. Um, the likelihood of me getting it is really slim. But if I thought that a mask really would help keep other people from getting it, I would wear it all day long because I've seen what it does to people. Is it worse than anything you've ever seen in hospice? Because we've seen a lot of deaths um, in hospice. So I'm just curious. As far as just like for cancer... Um, 
there's some painful deaths we've seen, like, you know, cancer of like the pancreas or like bone cancer can be pretty painful. Um, I think it's brutal. I think this is more brutal for the family and the patient may not feel as much pain as maybe say a cancer patient or something like that, or a patient that's been ignored and has a lot of like bed sores. Those are brutal. Yeah. Um, but they did have a lot of bed sores from proning. Had they not been sedated and when they were intubated, maybe it would have been, but I'm just saying in the way that the body just declines, it's so brutal and so quick. Yeah. Um, the fear in their eyes when you have to intubate them because they know they may not wake up because they yeah. see it in the bed next to them and the bed next to them because these were not closed room units, not all of them. Some of them were makeshift PACU units made into be like ICUs. Mm-hmm. So the fear in there, the fear, the fear was a lot more palpable. I mean, like even patients that were coming into the non-COVID ICUs. Do you think if they had there a was family, a level of fear that, that would have helped? Maybe. Yeah, and I think our legal teams, what we need to do better if this does come back around again, or need to prepare for another pandemic down the road that's not even COVID. We need a better ability to educate our public, and when people want to see their family members if they're dying, I don't. I, I personally don't care what kind of risk I'm taking on. I'm not letting my family members, you know, go to the next part of their being without me being there. I'm yeah. not going to not say goodbye. I'm not going to not give them permission, let them know that I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to say you need to stay and go through this pain because I'm going to be too worried about you. I'm not going to let them do that alone. Um, and it, it kills me that we didn't let more, towards the end, we, we were letting some family members come in. They had to put the bunny suits on. I'm like, well, why we could do that from the beginning? Um, I wish they would have let us do it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if it's done right, um, and they sign a legal paper saying, I understand the inherent risks and I'm not going to sue or anything like that, you know, of course, then you got some people on the other, other side of things that if somebody did get COVID, they would say, well, I was, I was. Of course I was going to do it. I was not my rational thinking because I was with a family member. You know, that's kind of stuff you got to anticipate that's going to happen. Yeah. But I mean, overall, I think that patient outcomes, some of them would have been better. Some of the ones that didn't end up in the ICU and were just there, you know, they probably could have had less days in the hospital. Um, and I just think you would have had, you, you have a nation that's grieving and we have families that passed away with this. Multiple family, multiple family members that passed away from it. Um, but I'll tell you something I never want to do again is is console a family through an iPad. Yeah, that stuff is BS. I I don't get. I don't even understand that. And then the, and I guess on my end, you know, like here, uh, those of us who live in you know Tennessee or other states that didn't get hit as hard, we have seen. I, I've heard multiple stories of people who've lost family members who just didn't go to the doctor and didn't go get right. checked out. Like you were saying, and, um, people who, um, like they were supposed to go in for like a routine, um, what was it? Like colonoscopy or something. Mm-hmm. I know of one story of a guy who was supposed to go in for a routine colonoscopy. Well, that got canceled. Well, then he got backed up. He couldn't do anything. He was getting really sick. They found out they, they had to do, they had, take him to the ER. They actually found out that he had a growth in there and he had mm. cancer and his colon and the routine colonoscopy would, would could have found that. Yeah. And it probably would have saved it from growing so much. Yeah. Things like that. That just kind of pisses me off that. Yeah. I think we should have shut down for 14 days maybe, or maybe we should have done something, but I don't know if this was it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that again, I'm happy to go somewhere in the middle. 
I don't yeah. think a complete lockdown was the answer. Maybe like we have, have spacing in stores from the beginning, not shut it down, but have spacing in stores. Um, I know that when I was there in New York uh, and Walgreens was open, they only let five people in the store at a time. And they had a security officer at the front letting people in and letting people out. Like that way people can still work. They can still get things. They can still function. You might have to learn a little bit more patience, which is not a bad thing for us to learn in this nation right now. But I, there's always something in, there's always something in the middle that works. It just We just got so drastic with this. Yeah. And, my biggest thing is stop using fear to control people. Use and information will, to let say, people make their own decision. Like out of, I've seen other nurses come back and they, you know, they come back and like, let me tell you about my experience in New York. And then they want to shame you for not wearing your mask or they want to lecture you. And I work you. with some of those people too, but I'm like, but really? Yeah. Did you're you, the, why you're, are you now? Because you've seen it and it's so bad, but, but you're, and I get it. You don't want to spread it, but. Are you really thinking about how effective that actually is? I just don't think they're thinking about all the other right. things. I don't think they're thinking about the suicide rates. I don't think they're thinking about the domestic violence situations. I don't think they're about the misdiagnosed cancers and things like that. They're only thinking about the COVID. And I think you're nicer about it than I am because that all that stuff as a nurse, like we should be thinking about all of those things, right. not just COVID. And um, I think that, help, that, that, that helps that's because I've worked mad. in so many other areas. So I consider yeah. so many more of the population to be my patients. I mean, yeah. I worked in a psychiatric unit yeah. with kids who have been sexually and physically abused. Right. So I definitely went through like a short period of time where I thought, man, we there's just so much abuse going on in this world. And there's and, no escape right now yeah. for them. And then my psychiatrist was like, Okay, Jesse, but we work in a psychiatric unit. The, the, the psychiatrist that I worked with. Yeah. It's like, you have to realize... This is a microcosm that's not representative yeah. of the rest of the world. You're which seeing, is why I got out of the ER. Yeah. Because you start thinking the rest of the world are drug seekers and yep. sometimes assholes or, you know, We're liars. We're guilty of that. Or, or, and, and so that when you go to the ER, by the way, don't take it personal if they're expecting you because we've had soccer moms to preachers, everybody lie to us about drug use. And so you get, you, you have to put on a little bit of, um, I guess, suspicion when you work there. Um, doesn't mean they can't be human to you and be nice to you, but just don't ever expect them to believe. They don't know who you are and we get, we get lies all the time. But I, there were a lot of ER nurses there that were thrown up in the ICU that have never been in the ICU and they think it's the same. It's not. But um, they were the same like we were. Like most of us ER background, some of us weren't wearing our hairnets all the time. We would take, <laughs> at, towards the end, I was taking in water and taking my masks off and sipping because it's just like, listen, at this point, like if I haven't gotten it, even with all that garb, there's so much bodily fluid that's happening and cleaning that happens. And it's like, there's there's no way I haven't been exposed to it at this point. So that's why it was like... Um, the antibodies I can I consider not to be true. The PCR was negative, and she rammed it up there, and I cried. So she did a good job. So I know I'm that afraid that was to false. do it. I'm afraid to get tested for it. I think we might have had it like back in February because we all got sick. Mm -hmm. Like we're currently kept getting sick. But that could also just be the cold. It could have been. It could have just been it's, the flu. And viruses are so we are made up of virus and bacteria. We have more but virus and bacteria in our bodies than we probably do ha have even cells. I'm just afraid to get tested, though, because I don't want to be part of the, like, Tennessee surge, and then we all have to shut down again. Well, but, I mean, here's the thing. Why are we shutting down if they're not actually sick in the hospital? So, if they're positive, that's one thing. Okay, 
that means that there's going to be more chances for this to um, metamorphosis or, you know, mutate into a lesser effective virus, or into a lesser, you know, harsh virus. It'll be more effective if it's actually less harsh because it'll be able to proliferate yeah. and get into more yeah. bodies and have a party with the rest of the viruses and bacteria that already live yes. in your body. You guys are, you guys pretty much host like a gigantic storm of you know, viruses, bacteria, fungi, it's all inside of you. So just deal with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we pretty much, we've covered the gambit. I yeah. Think. I think we've pretty we much covered We didn't talk about everything. the protests while I was up there, but I didn't really listen to any, so. Yeah. And that's not really COVID related. But it, I mean, it did disappear. So if, I mean, honestly, maybe that's what we need to do to get rid of the mass. We need to start a race war. A waste war? A waste war. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. No, but I mean, you see how quickly it disappeared? And it's, it's like, oh, but the, the surge happened. I'm like, but they're also testing more still, too. They're right. making it available everywhere. So we need to have some kind of civil war that happens, and then we'll forget about COVID again. So you guys know. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you for coming on the show again. don't know and why I'm waving, but I'm waving. She's waving at you guys. We're going to go do the cinnamon challenge. challenge right now. So if you don't so. hear from us again, we have died. From inhalation of cinnamon. Essentially bark. Or apple schneiders. Apple schneiders. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, we gotta get in this here. All right. Um, but thank you guys and you know, just keep it sane, keep it peaceful, and keep it voluntary. Mm-hmm.